Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. They asked Jesus, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to have place? take place? <laughs> he replied, Watch out. Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the one. The time is near. Follow me. Listen to me. But Jesus said, Do not follow them when you hear of wars and revolutions. The war in Afghanistan reached a new intensity today as missiles landed. The residents of the city continue to live in fear. Police have been unable to withstand Reuters and looters. Jesus said, Do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will, co will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Military exercises continue today in foreign waters. Response was swift with... Planes carried out a surprise bombing attack before daybreak today. Jesus said, There will be great earthquakes. More than 100,000 people lost their lives in a devastating earthquake. Authorities say that the quake measured 8.1 on the Richter scale. Sickness. These viruses continue to spread throughout our community. Health authorities claim they are in epidemic proportions and show no signs of letting up. Famines in various places. Two more shipments of food reached port but never made it to the starving masses. Warlords continue to control. Jesus continued, fearful events and great signs will come from heaven. Scientists claim two asteroids are on a collision course. How much science fiction can become actual rea reality? Jesus said, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. You're under arrest. Take that. No videotape? Let's give him a good thumping. Teach him a lesson. Jesus said, they'll deliver you to synagogues. Don't you know the stories about Jesus aren't really true? If your Christianity really worked, you wouldn't be suffering like this. And put you in jail. We'll put you away for good. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. Why do you believe when it is against the law? You are going against the very things your country stands for, you traitor. But this will result, will result in your being witness to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand you, how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Well, actually, you make a lot of sense. I'll, I think I'll have to think about this, but you have a point. You will be, poor, you will be, even by, you'll be betrayed even by your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. When did you become such a Jesus freak? I don't understand this change in you. And they will put some of you to death. All people will hate you because of me. Kill, Kill them. them! Kill them! But Jesus said, But not a hair of your head will, be, will perish. By standing firm, you'll gain life. Amen. Amen. May God add a blessing to this reading of the scripture and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. Amen? A couple of weeks ago, the Cynodome in Riverdale was torn to the ground. Uh, this old, wonderful theater, big dome-shaped thing where I saw Star Wars when I was just a little kid.
Uh, not before Darren Hogan, by the way, who uh, went, and I'm, I had to wait like two weeks because my parents wouldn't let me go. I was very upset about the whole thing. Stigmatized for two weeks because I hadn't seen this great movie yet. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but the Cynodome, this great icon, uh, this wonderful legacy, this, the only interesting thing in Riverdale, really, was torn down the other day by Larry H. Miller's company. And I, don't get me started on that guy. But <laughs> remember the Golden Eagles? Huh? Huh? Am I the only one? All right. But at any rate, the Cynodome is gone. And there was this whole movement. You know, movies hadn't been shown in that building since 2001, uh, but there was a whole movement to save the Cynodome uh, on Facebook in particular. This guy uh, uh, who was a Clearfield High alumnus was was really working to have the Cynodome preserved and, and, and kept from being destroyed and turned into yet another uh, used car lot, which is what is going to happen to it. But they lost, and the Cynodome was torn down. But you can buy pieces of the Cynodome, uh, bricks and whatnot, over the Internet on eBay. I also saw the cash register was up for sale. If you are so sentimental that you would like to have the cash register from the Cynodome, it is available uh, uh, for the highest bid (laughs) over the Internet. But it's interesting, as I was looking at that and I looked at this text today, to realize that places have significance and meaning in our lives. For me, the Cynodome will always be where I saw Star Wars. And like most kids my age, Star Wars changed my life. (laughs) The world would never look the same after Darth Vader and uh, the Millennium Falcon and all of those things. Places have meaning. And the disciples recognized this as they walked into Jerusalem and they came down the street and the largest structure, the highest structure they came across was this magnificent temple in Jerusalem. The temple of Herod that was built uh, where the Dome of the Rock sits today on that very spot. And this was actually the third or second temple to be built in that spot, depending on how you reckon it. It was sort of the, sort of the third temple. The first temple was built by Solomon and was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. It was Solomon's temple, of course, Solomon was rich, so he poured a lot of money into the temple of the Lord and, and made this magnificent temple. But when... The Babylonians asserted themselves into Judea. They destroyed the temple and hauled the people of God away. And when they were permitted to return, the prophet Ezra and the prophet Nehemiah, in order to pull the people back together, began to talk about building the temple again. And finally, Zerubbabel uh, built a temple on the Mount of Zion, on Mount Moriah, and built a temple there, and Ezra dedicated it in 515. And this was a humble kind of grassroots movement. It wasn't, it wasn't a magnificent temple. It was a, it was a humble, simple temple. But it was built by the will of the people, and it, it stood there for a long time. 
In 167 BC, this same temple was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes, by who uh, who came in and and dedicated uh, sacrifices to a different god and desecrated the temple. But it was rededicated in 164 BC by the Maccabees. And, and there the temple rituals began again. And in 20 BC, this is when Herod the Great began to renovate Ezra's temple. And it uh, they didn't. The reason it's the second temple and not the third one is because they continued to do the the rituals in Ezra's temple, and Herod basically built around it a new temple over the top of Ezra's old temple, and so you know the Holy of Holies stayed the same and and all of that. But there was all this construction built around it with huge courts, and they and they basically built this huge platform over the top of the mountain uh, where the Wailing Wall stands today is the western wall of that same structure. This giant wall that held up the courts uh, that stood around the temple. And by all accounts, this was a magnificent structure. It was, it was, the renovation was one of the largest and most magnificent undertakings of the entire first century. Herod, like so many in power, wanted to solidify his legacy in the hearts and minds of the people. And Herod was a big builder. He, he spent a lot of money and time building palaces and temples, not only to the god Yahweh, but to many other gods as well. But the temple in Jerusalem was going to be his crowning achievement. And it was magnificent. Uh, the scope of the construction and the magnificence of the architecture was never before seen in the holy city. And in fact, when Jesus walked, it was still being worked on. Uh, parts of it were still under construction. And as they walked in, so this wonderful, magnificent building was standing there, and they walked in, and all of the disciples were like, wow, look at this place. This is magnificent. This is this is impressive. I've never seen anything like it. The house of God. Wow. Jesus, however, was unimpressed. Oh, sure, you marvel now, but someday, and someday soon, that beautiful temple will be gone. Of course, Jesus was right. 70 AD, the Romans destroyed it and burned it to the ground. And there's never been a temple there again. For Jesus... That same temple had come to represent a domination symbol, a domination system that was as symbolic of everything that was wrong with Judaism as anything in that city. When Jesus went in and cleansed the temple, shouting, it is written that my house will be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. It wasn't really the money changers that he was referring to, but the priests and the scribes who ran the temple and who fed off of its fat. Each Jewish person in Roman Palestine was required by law to pay an annual temple tax to support the priests and the rituals that went on there. And the, these priests, there were thousands of them. In fact, they had their own city. 
They lived outside of Jerusalem in their own city, all dedicated to their own place. And a priest, there were so many Levite priests that a priest might actually do his duty only once or twice a year and then go home and live, live the rest of the year on what, uh, what was being brought to the temple for the taxes. In fact, the story that comes right before this, tax, this, this text is the widow's might. We remember the widow's might. Always, we always hold this widow up as an example of rock-solid faith and uh, someone who gave their all to God. But some have suggested what the story is really about is drawing attention to the injustice of the temple system of the time by noting that this widow offering her last might was to satisfy the temple tax that had been imposed on her. We can admire the widow, but she really had no choice. She was required by law to give her last might to the temple. And Jesus may have been saying, look at this woman. And look at what's wrong with our system. Because this woman is going to fall through the cracks. So Jesus goes out of his way to contrast over and over again in the Gospels the empty ritual of the temple and the true sense of connection to God that comes through living a faith that changes our lives. In other words, Jesus would much rather point to the temple here rather than put a lot of energy into the temple that was before them. So here's what I'm getting at with all of this. <clears throat> with a grand building like this one, <laughs> it's easy to let that become the church. When the building begins to take precedence over the ministry it supports, then we begin to have a problem. When the building becomes a fortress to keep ourselves away from people different than us and to keep them away from us, then we have a problem. But when the building becomes a museum filled with artifacts that can never be changed or moved and people that can never be changed or moved, then we have a problem. But all that being said, I believe it is crucial at this moment for this wonderful church to be in this place at this time. It is important that we be here. And really, I guess I would ask the question of this text. Are we a temple that has lost its connection to God and to the people? Or are we a temple that gives honor and glory to God and becomes a gathering place and a clearing house for the ministry that God has called us to? Because there is a need at this time for the church to be the church. We sit, I got to tell you, we sit in prime real estate to do ministry in this great city. We sit on the cusp of so many great places to bring the light and love of God 
to a hurt and broken world. We sit in a place, you know, most other churches, most everyone else is running to the suburbs and building, you know, wonderful buildings that don't cost as much to heat (laughs) and don't take as much extra care. And they run out to the suburbs where it's easy to build church, where there's nothing else to do but go to church, really. And, uh, you know, people bring their families and they go to these wonderful churches that have, you know, 20 different programs for 50 different groups and, and all of that. But we sit in the mission field. We sit in the place in Salt Lake where people have said, I'm not sure what I think. I know I'm spiritual, but from what I've seen of religion, I'm really not all that interested. And I got to tell you, people, those are the folks we want. Those are the folks we're going after. <laughs> those are the folks who can find a home here. Because quite frankly, I'm looking out here and I know that half of you are like that too. You said to yourself, religion, yeah, I don't want anything to do with it. And then you came here and found a safe, comfortable place to explore what this whole God thing's about. Well, we have a ministry right here. We live in the place I like to call Bohemia. You know, a lot of artistic skeptics. (laughs) Artistic skeptics who are searching, who are wondering, and who need to know that there's something else. And we're here, it's important that we're here because sacred space is important. Sacred space is rare in the world we live in. Am I right? Right? Amen? (laughs) Sacred space, we don't get a lot of. And to come and to find a place where we can experience the transcendence of God... To feel a sense of the holy, a place set aside that represents something bigger than ourselves. It's important. It's valuable. It's redemptive. And it's inviting. We are literally a beacon on the hill for all the city to see. And in in a city where buildings are symbols it becomes so important that we become a symbol of another way of another alternative for all those who have looked around and have said you know what i'm not that they may see this beacon on a hill and say but maybe maybe i'm that <laughs> maybe this is a home for me maybe there's an alternative Maybe First Baptist Church. Crazier things have happened. You know, the other thing i got to say is that this, this church provides a ministry to a lot of different groups in a lot of different places. You know, I, I live right across the street from another church, and I won't tell you what denomination it's from. But I sit right across the street from another church, and I, have, I rarely see anybody there. In fact, you know who I see over there the most? My son, who plays uh, laser tag in the parking lot. Henry and Jack, they run around there, and they get a lot of use out of that building, but very few other people do. 
This building is full of people from the community who come here and experience hospitality, who come here and experience healing, like AA meetings, who come here and, and practice their wonderful music, like all the different music groups. And I got to tell you, you know, half the, the young adults spend half their time up in the young adult room playing video games and watching movies. This is literally their home. <laughs> They're here a lot. They feel comfortable here. It's an important place where people gather and ministry happens. And it is a place where we gather. It is a place where we come together to connect to one another, to deepen our relationship with God, to pray with and for one another, to learn more, to grow, to weep, and to feel that arm come around us without a lot of questions, but just a lot of support. To feel that sense of belonging, no matter how strange you are. And some of you are pretty strange, i got to say. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. If you're bizarre, you have a home here. <laughs> if you're quirky, we have a place for you, and you belong here. That's something great about this space, about this place, about this church. And it's not about the building. We have a magnificent building. I mean, it's gorgeous. But that is not what brings this church to life. What is most vital about this building is the attitude of the people who call it home. What's most important about this building is you and the work that you have committed yourself to. We are the church, not this building. And this building has no meaning unless that people within it are a blessed community of faith who have committed themselves to the mission and ministry of Christ. Amen? And i got to say, it's a difficult balancing act. Because to be honest, this building takes a lot of care. And it takes a lot of resource. In fact, this week you're going to receive a letter from me inviting you to Thanksgiving dinner and inviting you to think about your support of the church in the coming year. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, a bulk of that money helps to maintain this building. But what I'm trying to tell you today is... That is money well spent. That is money well spent because we are needed here to be relevant. And, you know, it's going to mean growing and evolving and becoming all that God calls us to be. Not only the building, but the building and you and me as well. In order to be relevant in this space, we need to be willing to let God use it and let it grow with the ministry. It all depends on our faithfulness to God's call to being the church. I like to think that if Jesus were walking through our town, 
and looking at all the buildings. And the disciples were going, wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. Because there's a lot of good buildings around here. I would hope that Jesus would stop here and go, wow, look at what goes on there. Look at the people inside this church. Look how, look how they for hundreds of years have been faithful. Look how they've kept their perspective. Look how they've dedicated themselves. Look how open the door is. There are no fences here to keep people out. In fact, they, they take that church and they go out into that city where there is no building. They bring what they have here out to a hurt and a broken world out there. And rather than cleansing our temple and turning over the tables, Jesus might join us for potluck. <laughs> And enjoy being in our presence. This is my prayer. This is my prophetic vision, if you will. And it's up to us to be that church. And to make sure that this space is that kind of temple. Let us pray.